you are more than just a fan. A fan just watches from the sidelines. A fan is late to the bandwagon and leaves when things aren't looking good. Not you. You will do anything and everything to help your team win. You proudly wear your colors at all times because you're not just a fan. You are a fanatic. So I, I grew up going to church. I don't know if uh, that's your story or if your story is completely different than mine. Um, but for me, my dad was actually a pastor. So not only did I grow up going to church uh, every weekend, but I went to every Sunday school. I went to every Sunday night prayer service. I went to every midweek youth service. And then if there were ever a, a special church event, I was at every single one of those. So I guess that you could say I was a pretty good Christian. Uh, or at least I, I thought that that's what constitutes as being a good, a good Christian, right? Uh, for whatever re reason, I, I believed, and I think many people growing up probably have the same kind of mentality, maybe even now, that my relationship with God was at least in part dependent on how many times I attended church or how much of the Bible that I could read or how much of how many scriptures that I could memorize. Uh, and even as a kid, I remember my parents and my grandmother teaching me and helping me to learn how to quote every single book of the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, um, all, all together. And, and so I prided myself on even being able to train myself to be able to do that in just one breath. Not, not every single word of the Bible, mind you, but Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all the way to Revelation in one breath. Hopefully you tracked with me. You didn't think I could just tear through this thing in one breath. Um, you want to hear it? Yeah? Uh, I've practiced it for you just to make sure that I can still do it. It's pretty impressive. You're probably going to think very highly after, uh, of me after this. Um, all right. Don't choke under pressure, Dustin. Let's go. You can follow along with me if you look at the front of your Bible. Usually there's a table of contents there. <clears throat> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Samuel, Kings, Kings, Chronicles, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, and Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Name, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st Timothy, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philly, Money, Hebrews, James. First second Peter, first second John, third John, June Revelations. I took a little bit of breath, but thank you, thank you. I'll be better prepared tomorrow if you want to come back for round two. Uh, that's close. Thank you, let's pray. Um, no, but... <laughs> it's good that I know that because someday I'm going to stand, we're all going to stand before the Lord and he's going to look us dead in the eye and, and ask, ask us if we can quote Genesis through Revelation in one breath. And if we are unable to do so, he'll look at us and say, depart from me, I never knew you. And so it's, thankfully that's, that's not the case, but I think sometimes we, we act like that. Wouldn't it be so much easier if just knowing about him was really all that mattered? But that's, that's not what he's interested in. That's what this whole division between fan and follower is that we've been fleshing out in this series called More Than a Fan. It's not just enough to know about God, you actually have to know God. It's not just an intellectual pursuit, it's a deeply spiritual one. It's not just head knowledge, it's heart intimacy. 
Pastor Ryan last week, he preached and he concluded the message by saying, there is no catch to following Jesus, but there is a cost. And that's absolutely true. You're, you're welcome to come to Jesus no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. You might be so messed up in life right now and he will lovingly accept you if you come to him, full stop. Yet when you come to Jesus and he invites you to follow him, the path that he is going to lead you through will not be easy and it will not be cheap. So Luke chapter nine is our text today. We're gonna to talk about the cost of the calling. Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But that man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another, he said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Three different conversations with three different men who are happy to have Jesus as long as he's second place. Happy to have Jesus as long as he is an addition to the equation rather than the equation himself. As long as Jesus is the app and not the operating system. In these few verses, we hear about the tragic excuses of three would-be followers of Jesus, three potential candidates for the kingdom of God. And I want us to look at each of these three excuses, and I want us to check our own hearts as we read along, because uh, we need to ask ourselves, what is preventing me from becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? The first man, look back at the text. He said, I will follow you wherever you go, and Jesus Jesus' reply is telling to the man's heart because he says foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. So number one, if you're taking notes, the cost of the calling is your comforts. The cost of the calling is your comforts. So Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? That, that's fine, but I don't have a home. I, I'm a wanderer following. I'm a wanderer following some unseen God, going to places and, and going amongst people who will welcome me at first, but whose devotion will quickly turn. And it's not going to be comfortable following me, but you're more than welcome to come. Jesus doesn't seem to have the best recruitment strategy here. Because if I was trying to recruit someone, I'd try to tell them of all the amenities that they're going to receive in following me. I'm going to tell them all of the rewards that they're going to be able to, I'm going to tell them how great it's going to be, even if there's going to be some rough days. Jesus, on the other hand, is, is just straight up saying, hey, this is going to be bad, but come on, let's go. Like, you might not have, I, I, I just am glad that Jesus is being honest up front because I think we as the Christian church at large for many years have done a disservice to new Christians or people that are inquiring to become a Christian because we've led them to believe that when you come to Jesus, everything gets better. <laughs> that, that you might be sick and then you come to Jesus and then you're going to get healthy. 
that, that, that you may be poor and then you come to Jesus and then you're going to be rich. That, that you may be sad, you come to Jesus and then you're going to get happy. Just all the time, happy. The only thing wrong with that is the Bible. That that's not what the Bible says is what's going to happen in the life of the believer. In fact, it kind of flips that on, your, on, it, on its head, that if you are sad and you come to Jesus, there are many times where you're probably going to be more sad, especially when it comes to light, your sin and, and your shortcomings of your past. That, that you might have had friends, but now you came to Jesus and those same friends are no longer. That, that you might have been healthy, but then you come to Jesus and, and you still get sick. This causes a lot of new Christians to quickly become disappointed and disenchanted with God because they thought he was supposed to be some holy pinata that was just hanging in the sky that if you hit him hard enough with your prayer stick, then he's going to just rain down blessings in and over your life. And I really need you to hear this tonight because following Jesus, please understand me, is the best life, but it's most definitely not the easiest. If you want an easy life, like do your own thing. That's the easiest. Like just create your own schedule. Just do, do your own thing. Have your own rules. Or better yet, don't have any rules at all. Like that's an easy life. That is a comfortable life. Jesus is essentially saying, if you want to follow me, I don't know where I'm going to be sleeping tonight. I don't know what I'm going to eat tomorrow. And the road is going to be rough. But I know my destination and it's worth it. Life Church, just in case you forgot what this is all about, we are following some broke homeless guy who got betrayed by a friend and then was murdered. And, and I, I know I'm not doing the best tonight on converting those that were on the fence. Like you came in here tonight like, all right, I'm almost there. I just want to see what's happening tonight. And then you come and you're like, oh, it's that bad? Like you might already be leaving tonight, but I, I, I'm just, I, I've got to be honest. Jesus is being honest to this man, so I'm going to be honest to you. I'm not offering tonight what God is able to give. I'm offering you God himself. And that should be enough. That is the greatest treasure. Do you just want God's things or do you want God? God is the reward. God is the treasure. Following him could mean a difficult life, but it is one that is filled with deep peace and deep joy if you treasure Jesus above all. The cost of the calling is your comforts. But that's not all. There's more. <laughs> Secondly, the cost of the calling is your security. We look at the second man in verse 59. Jesus said, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you, you, and go, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Whew. So admittedly, this is a tough response. I mean, let's just be, let's just be frank here. That, that's harsh. And don't, don't read more into it than what's there. Don't make it harsher than it is because God's not saying this to all of you. Jesus didn't look at you and say the same thing that he's saying to this man. But God knows your idols just as much as he knew this man's. And God looks at, the, uh, Jesus looks at this man in the face. Pretty much says, let the dead bury their dead. Let, let, you, let your family take care of your dad. You follow me if that's, 
if that's what you so choose. And for me, I'm trying to process this because like, I, I love my dad. Now you might not want to be at your dad's funeral. I love my dad. I, if my dad dies, I'm going to his funeral. Like that's, that's just how it's going to be. Like I'm going to be there. God said to honor your father and mother. So how does this balance out? So l- let me explain just a little bit of context here. Burial at this time in Jewish tradition often involved a year-long period of mourning and burial ceremonies. So it was a long, drawn-out process. It was a basic obligation for the families, but it was important. But Jesus, in his statement, was able to see where this man's allegiance truly was. Yes, it was with his family, which that's a good thing, and I don't think Jesus is against that, but even more so, I I think Jesus was saying that this man's uh, allegiance and reliance was on possibly the inheritance that would come with the passing of his father. The security of the finances that he would be able to obtain if he were to go back home and finish the burial process. And then not only that, Jesus' mission was an urgent one. He, he might have here had only a year of ministry left. So if this man would have gone back home, he wouldn't have ever been with Jesus. So I think that this, what the man is telling Jesus is that someday in the future, I will follow you, Jesus. But first, let me return home and get things in order. First, let me, let me go and get my inheritance. Someday I'll follow you, but today is not the day. So for us, I'll follow you, Jesus, but first, let me climb the corporate ladder. I'll follow you, Jesus, but first, let me enjoy partying. I'll follow you, but but first, let me get older and let me go through college and let me start a family or let me retire. We add thing after thing after thing. We can so easily be consumed with focusing on things that give us security and forget the one from which true security comes. So let me ask you, What gives you a sense of security? What what truly gives you a sense of safety? Is it a person? Is it a place? Is Is it money? Your house, your status, your position? Or is it God? The cost of the calling is your comfort. The cost of the calling is security. Thirdly, the cost of the calling is your past. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back. Is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Very similar situation to the man before him. But I want to take from this an idea of past, and I'll show you why. Some of you know what a plow is, but just for the sake of those that, that, that might not, uh, a plow was, it is and was a, a, a large piece of farming equipment that was pushed along the dirt and, and was used to loosen up the soil in preparation to, to cast seeds seeds. And so plowing was all about straight lines. One straight line after the other, after the other. It was about precision. It was about accuracy. And you can only imagine the, the amount of difficulty that would be involved if your hand was on the plow, but your eyes were cast behind. <laughs> 
If your, if your hand was on the plow when you were pushing forward, but your eyes were backwards, it would be a very inefficient job. The lines would be all over the place and you might actually be in danger. If the task is before you, but all you can focus on is what's behind you on what, what, what's happened in your past to you or what you've done terribly to other people in, in, in your past. Jesus knows that if this guy goes back, that he'll never again move forward. And so I've heard it many times before like this, Dustin, I want to become a Christian, but I don't think my boyfriend will be on board. Dustin, I, I, I want to come to Christ, I, I think, but, but how can I with the lifestyle that I'm living? I want to come to Christ, but I've done far too many too many bad things. And I have this sneaking suspicion that those who only ever look back so desperately want to go there. They want to go back. They want to go back for just a little bit more. Back for just one more day. Back for just a few more hours. Back for just one more time. And Jesus says, stop looking back. I want to take you forward. Stop, stop looking at the past and dwelling on your mistakes. Stop dwelling on the things that you enjoyed so, so much outside of me and, and follow me. You cannot follow me if your eyes are not set on me. And, and Jesus is saying, look at me. And listen, please follow me. There, there's a difference between looking back with evaluation and looking back with longing. Please understand, you can look back and evaluate your past. You can look back and say, wow, that was rough. Wow, the, there were sins that, I were, that so wrapped me up, that, but, but thankfully I repented from those, which literally means to turn away from those. I turned away from those and I'm looking in a different direction. I'm moving in a different direction. That's evaluation. But then there's looking back with longing. And, and that's the kind of looking back that the Israelites looked. When they, when they had, you understand, they were in slavery for 430 years in Egypt. And then God miraculously delivered them from slavery and bondage. And only days into their journey to the promised land did they look back and say, I wish we were back in Egypt. Back. Back. Looking back will never get you to where God wants you to be. Because God wants to take you in the future. Your, your destiny is greater than your history. But some of you will never step into your destiny because you are fixated on your history. Put your hand to the plow. Look forward and follow Jesus. So, when I was in middle school, there were, there were classes and courses that I were that I excelled in, and there were classes and courses that I did extremely poorly in, probably like you, unless you just did extremely poorly in all of your middle school classes. Um, and it was largely dependent on the material being taught. Did I enjoy it? Was I interested in it? Or, or did I despise it? And so my weak ones were like science. And not that I completely despised it, but I always had seemed to have coaches as teachers. Not that all coaches are bad, please. But um, I, all my, like one of my, one of my teachers growing up was Bill Nye the Science Guy. And you're like, that would be amazing, but 
but it was, it was just a day after day, our science teacher would bring in the cart with the TV on top and we'd just watch Bill Nye the Science Guy. Once again, you say that's amazing, but I didn't learn what I needed to when it came to science and that just uh, a downward spiral. But one of, the, one of the classes, one of the courses that I was actually good at and enjoyed was that of history. And I, I grew up in Texas, so I was captivated by Texas history. We actually had entire classes and courses on Texas history. I asked some of the staff members that are from Wisconsin this last week about some of the things that you guys learned uh, in Wisconsin history, and they couldn't tell me anything. So, but in Texas history, as you imagine, everything's bigger there. They, they, I mean, Texans love Texans, and so they they have a they have a great history. One of the one of the things I want to share with you is, is a, a brief glimpse into a moment in the Texas Revolution. So do you mind if I share with you just a, a pivotal moment in, in the story? I think that it's relevant to, to the topic. So October 2nd, 1835. That's tomorrow, a long time ago. It was the beginning of the war for Texas independence. And Stephen F. Austin, he led a group of rebels uh, to take San Antonio. And General Antonio de Padua Maria Severino Lopez de Santa Ana y Perez de Lebron, we just know him as Santa Ana, <laughs> thankfully, he stepped down as Mexico's president and, and he led a military force of 2,500 to take back San Antonio. And there were 189 American men that fled into a Catholic mission there in San Antonio and took up defenses, refusing to give up the city as the Mexican forces showed up to lay siege. It was March 5th, 1836, when Colonel William Baird Travis, who had known for several days that their situation had become hopeless, and he knew that the Mexican army was closing in and the retreat was impossible unless it happened immediately. So he gathered his fellow defenders on, on, on that Saturday afternoon and he gave a speech. We must die, he began. Our, our business is not to make a fruitless effort to save our lives, but to choose the manner of our deaths. Travis saw three possibilities. He, he saw that they could surrender and be executed that they could try to fight their way out only to be butchered by Mexican lancers. Or he said, we can remain in this fort, resist every assault, and sell our lives as dearly as possible. And, and then as the legend goes, with, with a flourish, Travis drew his sword and he slowly marked a line in the dirt. And then he looked up at his men that were standing before him. They were untrained soldiers, but they were fighting for something that they believed in. And he said, I now want every man who is determined to stay here and die with me to come across this line. That's where we get the, the, the figure of speech, the, the line in the sand. And so every single man, save for one, stepped across that line with full understanding of what would happen the following morning. They knew that their decision to step across the line would cost them their lives, but they so fervently believed in the cause that they were willing to give it all. So the Battle of the Alamo 
was actually lost for these Americans. I, I don't have a story to tell you that, that those 189 brave men took the 2,500 soldiers of the Mexican trained army. That's not what happened. The Battle of the Alamo was lost. However, the Battle of the Alamo goes down in Texas history as one of the defining moments of the war because of the courage that these men had to cross the line on that fateful evening, knowing what lay before them. Remember the Alamo became the, the heralding battle cry for the revolution, one that America would win only a short month later. And so I think tonight that the metaphorical line in the dirt is, is being drawn before every single one of us. That we're sitting in here tonight ha having come face to face with the decision we're going to have to make. You're going to make a decision before you leave here tonight, whether you may want to or not. If you don't want to make a decision, then that in itself is going to be making a decision to retreat with whatever consequences might come. Or you are making the decision to step boldly, resolutely, confidently across the line, no matter the cost. And it will cost you. I mean, I've talked about some of the costs. It's going to cost you your comfort. It's going to cost you your security. It's going to cost you your past. But rather than just speaking to you about the things that it's going to cost you, I don't want you leaving here tonight without knowing that every, for every cost, there's a compensation. With every sacrifice, there is a reward. And when you decide to follow Jesus, it might cost you your comforts. But in return, you're going to get a peace that transcends all understanding. That if you are willing to give up your earthly temporary security, that you will one day be welcomed into an eternal kingdom that can never be stripped from you. And even here on earth, you will receive a protection from God himself. That even if you lose everything here, that you will gain everything on the other side. And if you are willing to abandon your past, God has waiting for you a future beyond your wildest dreams. The interesting thing here in this text is that we actually don't get to see these three men's responses. If you, if you look back at the text, I mean, it seems ominous, but none of them say what they do with what Jesus said to them as if the question is kind of left open-ended for us to decide for ourselves. So what about you? With your hand to the plow, where will you go? What will you decide to do? Where will you set your eyes? I think that's, that's what it's all about. Where are your eyes set? Are they set on the comforts that this world has to offer? Are they set on the temporary securities that you can get from temporary things here in this world? 
Are they set on your past that might be so terrible or so good that you long to go back? Or are your eyes set on the author and the finisher of your faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross? Look back at the text. We, you know, we should have known this from the beginning because in Luke 9, a few verses before we, uh, our actual reading, I believe in verse 51, it said, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So he meets these three men along the road to Jerusalem. Do you know what's waiting in Jerusalem? It wasn't comfort, it wasn't security, and it wasn't past. It was a cross. A cross that was waiting in Jerusalem, and Jesus knew where he was going, and so he knew if these men were going to follow follow him, they would be following him to the foot of the cross, which is the antithesis to comfort which is the antithesis to security and which absolutely obliterates one's past. And what for many would have been a tragic moment where Jesus hung on the cross and the Savior bled out and died was actually one of great triumph. Because it was in that moment that everything was finished. Jesus proclaimed that from the cross. It is finished. And in those moments, death and sin were defeated once and for all. And we're in this waiting period now that's very awkward because death has been conquered. But we're still, the message is still being spread out that death has been defeated. Not everyone has has heard yet and, 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 and the war is still waging and and is still rumbling underneath the surface, but the victory has been secured. We're just waiting for the final day where Jesus returns for his people. But he is only returning to reclaim those that are truly following him. Where are your eyes set this evening? I cannot promise you that following Jesus will be easy, comfortable or fun, but it is the only thing that lasts. Everything else will fade, and not, not even in an eternal kind of scope of things. Give it a few weeks. <laughs> give it a few months. Give it a few years. I promise you those friends will eventually fade, that that high will eventually diminish, and that that fun is going to subside. Following Jesus might not be the easiest, but it is worth it. Tonight, it is time for you to decide, will I cross the line? It might cost you everything. In fact, it will cost you your very life. But in return, you get Jesus. And there is no greater reward.